Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1162, with guest Mark Rendell. Recorded Thursday, June 18th, 2015. Thanks very much, and welcome back. It's .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin. And Richard Campbell. And we're still in Norway at uh, NDC, right in front of the stage where one Ida somebody is going to. What's her name? Their, their attendee party is always fairly epic, and they bring a few bands in. Yeah, this band, um, I, I can't believe that I started down this path without actually remembering her name. But Ida Maria? She, Ida Maria, yeah. yeah. She's apparently really sassy. Yeah, and good. Good and rocking. So anyway. Uh, yeah, we're still having a good time. Mark Rendell is here, as you just heard, and uh, we're going to be talking all sorts of stuff soon. Yeah. But before we talk about that stuff, let's talk about some more stuff. Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, in my continuing series on C-sharp gotchas, which I have gleaned from Stack Overflow, yep. there was a great topic there, and you can read it at tinyurl.com slash csgotchas for C-sharp gotchas. Basically, the question was posited, what is your uh, most disturbing gotcha in C-sharp? And a whole bunch of people you know, uh, brought a whole bunch. You know, Venkat Subramaniam wrote a whole book on .NET gotchas. Did he really? That's yeah, hilarious. I, I, I did, did not some, know that. I did a DNR TV show or two with him on it, and it was great. Uh, but this is an interesting one. Overloaded equals the double equal sign operators and untyped containers, like array lists, right? Uh, or just simply an array, you know? Yeah. Basically, if you concatenate a string from a variable and a literal, right? You know, like you have a string foo equals quote my space my space and then you have uh my if you want to check my plus and then quotes string equals my space string if you want to de- assert that with a debug assert that's true okay and now you add that to an array list and you add another one that's just the literal my string and then you compare to see if the, and you add them to an array list, right? And you check to see if array list sub zero equals my string, and it's going to say false because it's te- testing an object, not a string. Right. Because there's no typing. Yeah. Right? And so it is not the object my string. And Mark is nodding his head. Yeah. So that all, you know, you can either always use string.equals a comma B, or use generics like list of string and that kind of stuff to ensure that the operands are strings. But no, we're lucky. Now we have generics. Yes, and that's the, right. You know, in .NET 1 and .NET 1.1, I got bitten by that. 
because yeah. it didn't have generics and we just had array lists and hash tables. Right, so generics aren't a luxury item for developers. Right. They really do help in a lot yeah. of ways. If somebody could tell Rob Pike that, that would be awesome. <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> well, anyway, that's it uh, for, for the CS Gotchas Rebellion Framework, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1140, the one we did with Jay Smelzer when we were talking about this ongoing evolution of the .NET Core and yeah. going to the other platforms and so, so forth. I thought it was appropriate for mm -hmm. our conversation today, especially with this comment. This is from Anto Almada, who said, all these post-open source shows, so he's talking about, you know, .NET going open source, mm -hmm. have been disappointing to me. Mm. I always thought that .NET was designed with cross-platform in mind and that it was just a management or marketing decision to keep it Windows only. Mm. These shows have shown that engineers wanted it that way too. No wonder Linux people didn't want to talk to them. I think that's grossly <laughs> unfair. Probably. You know, I think that the developers weren't thinking, oh, we got to make this for Windows only. I think they were put, confronted with a problem of, I must write this feature and I'm building it on Windows, mm. so I will build it on Windows. Yeah. Like there was I, not I have to deliver it by this Friday. Yeah. Yeah. The market, easiest way to do that is... Market-driven problem. The simplest way to go yeah. about it. We, yeah. we were talking about this before the show. There's yeah. big, a non-trivial chunk of the .NET framework that is wrappers over Win32 calls exactly. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that was the problem that was put in front of them. You know, I think I would be, as an architect, pretty annoyed with a developer that went through a bunch of hoops to support cross-platform stuff that wasn't the mandate at the time. Yeah, It's, it's Yakni. You ain't yeah, gonna need it. You're not gonna yeah. need it. And that's what happened. They to need it know. now. Yeah, it's a different problem. That's right. right. You, you you write the code when you need the code, not before. Right. Right. Just in time. Uh, and Antel goes on to say uh, the biggest windowism, which is a good term. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I remember was the Windows form dependency on the GDI uh, 32. Yeah. GDI plus. Yep. Uh, which has largely been solved by the Mono team. Yeah, because it okay. can be rewritten without it. Yeah. You know, you want to try something hard, let's try and get XAML running on another platform. That'd be fun. Who would do that? That's crazy talk. <laughs> You'd have to be some crazy little X like, company. Yeah, with an yeah. X in your name. You'd, yeah. Yes, that rhymes with Mamarin. You'd have to be something. insane to do that. <laughs> uh, and he goes on to finally to say, I'm so glad a Linux guy had the guts to go against it all and make it truly cross-platform. And he, I guess he's referring to Miguel Diacaza. Yes. Uh, I don't know. You know, Miguel wanted to do his own thing his own way. The, I think he's projecting intent where none really existed. That's a humanism. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy trap to get into, right? Yep. They, they, there was only a, a, a one-platform mandate, and that's what they focused on. And now that that mandate's changed, they're focusing on the broader that's spectrum. That's right. And, and when it comes to Xamarin, that, that's an evolution that you can broadly see. You know, if you take the whole history of Xamarin from the Mono project forward, you know, he had all this great stuff and code base and everything and was just looking for a way to leverage it in a way that was that there was a demand for. So right. Yeah. That's pretty much all there is. And, you know, with the license they've got on the on the core uh, BCL, FCL particularly, yeah. um, it means that Xamarin guys can actually just lift that and use it in Mono. Yeah. And where it's possible... Uh, they can lift code from Mono and use it in .NET Core. It's sure. just that a lot of the Mono code has got POSIX dependencies, mm -hmm. and .NET Core needs to run on Win32 mm -hmm. and POSIX, mm -hmm. so you can't necessarily just copy and paste the whole thing. But there's, you know, there's uh, cross-pollination happening, Absolutely. which I think is awesome. Yep, we're in a better place now, and it's mm. just a net, been an evolution of things. And without a doubt, the sort of end of Windows supremacy in the Microsoft world internally, yeah. just to sort of acknowledge that Absolutely. these tools are independent of yeah. any given platform. 
so Antal, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of the social media that we post to. The shows go up on Google Plus and Facebook every time we make one. That's right. And you can tweet us at Carl Franklin and at Richard Campbell. And uh, anytime for any reason at all, barbecue, music, or code, or spice. the meaning of life, yep. whatever it is, go ahead and tweet us. And that brings us to you, Mr. Rendell. Mark Rendell is the founder and CEO of Oort Corporation, O-O-R-T, a new company building cloud-based software for people who build cloud-based software. Yeah. Yeah. Oort's yeah. first product, Zudio, a web-based Windows Azure storage toolkit, launched in April 2013. Mark has been a Windows Azure development MVP for three years, and in his spare time, Mark works on the simple.data, not N-O-R-M, and simple.web projects, and wanders the world speaking at conferences and user groups, or he just geeks out learning new programming languages and frameworks. In 2013, he's working a lot with TypeScript and AngularJS. I need to send you guys What are you doing bio. in 2015? 2015, <laughs> I'm doing TypeScript and AngularJS, funnily enough. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute, let me update your bio. Change to three to a five. Done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I seem to be doing yeah Docker and, and Linux things as well. So. You know, it occurred to me that you'd be doing Docker. Yeah. As soon as we heard about that, I was like, oh, Rendell's going to be all over this. Oh, yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. There's so much good to be said there, too. I'm really fascinated it's, by it. It's great. Yeah. It, uh, at development time and at production time, it, it just does so much for you. Yeah. So. Very right. compelling. But uh, you've taken on yourself to, to make the promises Microsoft's made recently come true with making ASP.NET run on other platforms. I have, yeah. That's a nutty thing to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to do You know, Microsoft released something with the word alpha on it, and it's on GitHub. Yes. How are you not going to play? Uh, well, me. I, that's, <laughs> I, I'm drawn to it like How? an off to a flame. Can you avoid it? <laughs> you can't help yourself. I must make this work. Yes. Uh, so where did you start? So basically when they released the first alpha, okay. I, I went and I, I cloned it, and I, I cloned uh, every single repository. I actually have a Python script that you can point at a GitHub organization and it will just clone every single repository wow. for right. you. Nice. Um, and yeah, just dug in and started building stuff and, and so on. And the first, when it was alpha, they really had just nothing at all. There was an HTTP server. They had routing. You could do controllers. They had limited Razor, but you know things like shared layout and, and whatever, that wasn't supported. Right. You actually had to explicitly put layout in. They had literally started, you know, obviously they're going to have kept some of the old code, sure. but I think they started with empty C-sharp files and, and like maybe pasted a bit of code in, but it really is a ground-up uh, rewrite. ASP.NET 5 generally right. is, yeah. is just much lighter, leaner. They've merged Web API and, and MVC, so now you've just got one... One set of action filters. Thank heavens for that. That's, that's <laughs> Are there that any things me. that you, you look at this late in the game and say, geez, I wonder if they're going to actually finish that or fix that before it goes out that door? Okay, to be honest, and I'm sorry if anyone at Microsoft is listening to this, uh, I kind of liked it when they first started. I liked the fact that all the authentication stuff wasn't in there, all <laughs> the entity framework stuff wasn't in there. Yeah. Um, if you... I think it's very obvious that one of the reasons 
that they're doing this. I mean, there's there's two main reasons they're doing this. One is that David Fowler got a MacBook. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the other is that they have been losing a lot of developer mindshare to Node JS in particular. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they lost some to Ruby, but Ruby, you have to go and learn something new. Python, you have to go and learn something new. When Node came along, mm-hmm. you didn't actually have to go and learn something new if you'd been doing web development because yeah. you already knew JavaScript. But it was and a different so way to apply a lot it. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was still fundamentally callbacks and promises and, and all that stuff. And so there was much less barrier to jumping ship to go to Node. Um, and I think ASP.NET 5 with the new kind of project.json file and, and all the stuff that's in there, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. basically Node.cs. Um, Interesting, yeah. Node.cs. When they first, when it was alpha, it really was. There was so little in there. And that's the thing with Node is that what he's done is he's wrapped the V8 engine up in, a, in an executable. And then everything else is built on top of that. So right. it doesn't come with like ExpressJS out of the box. It no. doesn't come with authentication. It Everyone starts with everything turned off. Stuff on top of it. Yeah, yeah. And, turn it all on. You know, if someone comes up with a better way of doing an MVC framework than Express, then everyone will switch over to it. Right. Um, and when ASP.NET VNext, as it was at the time, started, they hadn't done all that stuff and it looked like it was going to be much more open for the community to solve those problems. Right. Whereas you look at it now and we've got all the Microsoft authentication stuff's come back. We've got a whole bunch of stuff. The the identity uh, services. And I don't mind the identity services, but they kind of tie you to entity framework right. and that ties you to SQL Server and there's the Trelfords. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, I just I think it's a bit of a shame that they've had to revert to this behavior of trying to solve all the problems out of the box. But at the same time, I understand that a lot of Microsoft's core customer base expect Microsoft to solve all the yeah, problems out yeah, of the box. Yeah, the vast majority. You know, so you know, so there's an awful lot of folks that just believe I, Microsoft will deliver this whole thing to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've worked on projects and consulted on projects where if the namespace didn't start with Microsoft dot or system dot, they, weren't they, wouldn't, they wouldn't use it. Yeah. You know, it would not huh. get signed like, off like by their people. What good could that be? Yeah. yeah. But, and, you know, you'd think this had changed by now, especially in the web world, when even Microsoft is including jQuery, yeah. you know? Yeah, right. Um, although, you know, and Microsoft, not a Microsoft started including jQuery. jQuery just at the time <laughs> that everyone else started going, no, we don't need jQuery. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, doesn't mean they were timely, but... Yeah. Um, they're a lot more timely these days, though, yeah. than they have been, aren't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would even say they might there. be agile. Pretty much. Yeah. There's, there's fairly... Re- I mean, I think lining everything up for a release of... of ASP.NET, VNext, or DNX as it's called now. There's obviously a lot of moving pieces. This is the other thing, though, about them trying to solve all the problems, mm-hmm. right. is to release beta 5, which, while we're recording, is due out next Monday, right. but they'll be working towards beta 6, mm. uh, which is probably going to be end of July. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to release these things, they've got to get the authentication lined up, they've got to get entity framework, identity, security, right. just so many things have to get lined up. Whereas if they focused on that core thing of an HTTP server and some basic primitives to work with that. Right. Uh, and then, you know, let's get that complete. Let's get that to 1.0. 
and then you can say, right, we're going to do an authentication stack, we're going to do this stack, we're going to do the other stack. That would be the proper agile way of doing it. Right. Do a complete slice yeah. that make, gets make people the started. Then and then start while the they're bicycle. working on kind of uh, their identity model stuff, somebody could come along and write like Passport DNX or, right. or mm. something like that. So, so I really... But they're getting I, better. I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's a process. I sure. really love the way that, you know, things are being released now and released on GitHub and, you know, NuGet and just great, yeah. great for us as developers. But something in the back of my mind thinks that they're leaving some developers behind. You know, the, the dark matter developers, the, the nine to fivers who want to install their new version of Visual Studio and have everything there and working. I don't think they're leaving them behind. I think, um, I don't think they're even treating them as second class citizens. They're, they're far too numerous to, <laughs> yeah. to be treated as second class citizens. And these are the guys uh, that are working in the big enterprises that have right. got these huge volume license right. agreements with Microsoft for TFS and and all that stuff. You think they're going to have a hard time? I think they'll carry on writing their web forms code, writing perfectly usable yeah. uh, intranet systems and line of business applications in web forms. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, still, to write a, a kind of big, complicated line of business application, um, a lot of the time I would recommend that people use web forms rather yeah. than MVC. Yeah. Because MVC for that kind of thing adds a lot of friction. Mm -hmm. MVC is great for funky web apps and bootstrap and, and all that sort of stuff. And you mean developer friction? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, web forms, if you're writing something where you're pulling huge chunks of data out of a database, mm -hmm. rendering it to the screen, letting people make some changes and then putting it back again, yeah. that's much easier to do in web forms than it is in MVC. So, sure. you know, more power to them. Carry on doing it. Right. Sure. Um, and, and Microsoft know that that is a big chunk of their bread and butter. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and they want people to keep using that because you keep using that. That only runs on Windows. Microsoft keeps selling Windows Server licenses. Yeah. It's, it's, everyone's happy. Right. And I'm happy because yeah. at the same time you've got this, like, I think they've progressed beyond the skunk works point now, but sure. you've got David and Damien and Lewis and all these guys, yeah. like, rocking it on GitHub. Totally. Um, and I might complain about their trying to solve all the problems all the time in their release processes and so forth. But the fact is, they're using my get and I can get nightly builds of beta 6. I yeah. can get reasonably stable builds of beta 5. And I can get beta 4 from NuGet. Mm -hmm. But I can also go and download, I can clone the repositories. I've forked some of the repositories. Sure. And if something's broken in like the, the nightly stuff, mm -hmm. then I can find where it's broken and I can fix it. Yeah. And then I can send them a pull request. Right. And I've signed the CLA, so they, they will just accept the pull request. Nice. Um, you know, as long as I've written the code right and commented it and <laughs> have you got uh, haven't stuff? done anything hacky. Have you have you gotten some pull requests? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. No. I have I fixed a couple of things, but they were it was like one line fixes and right. I don't stuff like they'd doing, already found maybe. I just kind of get in touch with somebody through Jabber or Twitter or something right. and, and just yeah. say I, I did this. Yeah. Yeah, I just just change this line and I'm let not the regular a pull request because I don't want to go through all the the review hassle and everything just to right. make sure it works. Yeah, no, totally so the next yeah. time you commit something, just fix that while that you're at it. That makes a lot so. of sense. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Coder Foundry. Coder Foundry is the country's premier .NET bootcamp, teaching students the full-stack .NET framework plus AngularJS in just 12 weeks with job placement services available upon graduation. New classes start July 6th. To apply online or learn more, visit coderfoundry.com 
slash rocks. So what's your, what's your fave? What's your pet uh, favorite feature or thing lately uh, about ASP.NET VNext? I think I, I mentioned it already. My favorite thing is that they've just combined MVC and Web API. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and actually what they've got now is closer to what Glenn Block was doing with Web API back when it was 0.6, right. when, when it was a WCF thing and not an ASP.NET thing. Right. Um, so controllers don't have to derive from controller. They don't yeah. have to inherit controller. If you don't need uh, any of the functions, that, any of the methods that that gives you, like view, and you don't need the user object and so forth, you can just have a plain old C-sharp object. And if you put routing attributes on it, or routing I love, attributes I love for your routing audience. Um, yeah. That's and, a wonderful feature. And, you, and then if you're using routing attributes, uh, see, I'm going to go American for the rest of the, That's of fine. the recording. Um, if you use routing attributes, then you can stick an API, API Explorer attribute on there as well. And then you get this kind of high-level reflection over your entire API that you can go and query. And I generate JavaScript based so, off the API Explorer that automatically handles all my links for me. So okay. I'll make a deal with you for the rest of the show. You say routing, and I'll say loo. Okay. okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I remember to say routing. Routing, uh, yeah. routing. Routing. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a, I'm challenging somebody to a fight routing. in East London. <laughs> I know, isn't it? You, you see, to us, you, sound, you guys, you Brits sound so polite. And to, to you, we sound so crass. Crass. It depends where in the States you're from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so. if you're from Boston or Rhode Island, yeah, let Boston. me tell you about cleaning my gutters, <laughs> my but, storm you know, windows. You've got the accent, but at the same time, if you drop something in an airport in America, the person trying to attract your attention to tell you will be going, Sir? Yeah. Oh, Sir? Sorry. Sir? Yeah. Sir, I think you dropped this. Yeah. Hey, dude. Where are you from? I don't know. I'm somewhere in America. <laughs> <laughs> it it may good. actually be Canada at this point. That's <laughs> pretty good. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, who is it? Stephen Fry doing the, 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 the American guy. He's like, oh, my God. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Good God. Yes. Yeah. But thankfully, sorry, anyway. Hugh Laurie got the house job. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, would not have worked. he's so good at uh, oh, the American just, accent. Yeah. Too funny. All right, so, sorry, anyway. yeah. yeah. Let's get back to yeah. it. Back to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's, but that's my favorite feature is just the fact that they've unified everything yeah. and, uh, and it's much more lightweight. And, right. uh, and also dependency injection. Dependency injection, all the things. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, this is the luxury of starting over, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. you get to put in all of these uh, things that uh, didn't seem all that important when they started 15 years ago. Yeah. And now clearly they are. Have there been any performance benchmarks? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so he says that in a way that makes you go. It's a, that uh, was as evil as a Brit yeah. gets, right? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys watch... The, so um, Scott Hanselman and John Galloway and Damien Edwards, uh, theoretically every week, although sometimes they miss them if they're busy uh, doing conferences or, or writing code. Does Scott oh, Hanselman write code? code? I don't know. Code. Um, Let me look that up. I got to Google. Yeah, somebody check that. What is this uh, code you speak of? But they do a community stand-up, which they actually do on Google Hangouts. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is weird. And you can watch the uh, the recordings of them on YouTube afterwards. And was it last week? I think, or possibly the week before? And Damien Edwards was talking about the Tech Empower benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And if people don't know what those are, these guys 
created this benchmark uh, framework, this, this benchmark spec is probably mm -hmm. the best mm -hmm. way of putting it. And then you can implement this benchmark spec. You can complete any of their tests in any language you want, any framework you want, any platform you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, send them a pull request with your thing in there, and then it gets added into the benchmarks. And it does from like a static file serving to accessing a database and retrieving 100 records and serializing them to JSON and returning that back. Yeah. So you get this comparison of which frameworks are best for specific workloads. That's great. And it is. It's awesome. Yeah. And ASP.NET does really well on that talking to a database because ADO.NET, particularly mm. if you've got SQL Server at the back end, mm. is very, very good. Very yeah. efficient. It's extremely uh, efficient binary protocols. But that's Windows as the OS. Windows as the OS. IIS as the, the server. Right. ASP.NET 4.5 as the runtime. Right. Uh, and raw SQL, so yeah. raw radio.net, yep. uh, no entity framework or link to SQL in right. there. Right. Uh, but it is that is as fast as ASP.NET can go, right. and that does pretty well. That comes out near the top. But on everything else, when you just compare the raw speed of the HTTP server, hmm. anything based on .NET is down in the bottom kind of 20% even wow. Of, wow. of the list. And up at the top, you've got... Uh, certain of the benchmarks have got native C++ implementations. Oh, man. Um, and then huh. there's Netty, which is a web framework that is actually Lua that you then host inside Nginx. So you just inject your web framework into the actual Nginx process, wow. and it runs inside there. So That's there's very little... Fast. Well, there's no kind of reverse proxying sure. or anything. It's just sure. it's all in memory. Yeah. Uh, but then underneath that, for most of the benchmarks, you get Jetty. Okay. Right. And Jetty is the Java uh, HTTP server and right. framework. And then you get things that run on top of that, whether it's Clojure or Java or Scala. The Play framework runs on top of Jetty, that sort of thing. But Jetty is using uh, NIO, which is native uh, IO in the JVM. Right. And it's using this built-in JVM class called byte buffer, mm -hmm. which is essentially unmanaged memory, and you get a pointer to it, nice. but it's, it's part of the framework. It's handled by the framework. Right. And it's a very fast memory. Extremely fast, and you don't have to worry about whether that thing knows how to use it, whether it knows how to clean up after itself, right. all this stuff. And mm. so Jetty is able to be extremely fast. So at the community stand-up a couple of weeks ago, Damien Edwards announced that they've got a github.com slash ASP.NET slash benchmarks repo that they've just started right. where it's let's just throw insane amounts of stuff at this problem Let's because we at least want to be in the top 20%. You know, maybe we can't hit Jetty, maybe we certainly can't hit Netty and, and native C++, right. but let's get ourselves up in the area of the JVM at, frameworks at and the Go frameworks yeah. and that sort of thing. And so, so it's it's not the performance isn't great, yeah, mm -hmm. but it is a known issue and it is something that they are actively working on, sure. and they've got some great ideas. So, what about on Linux? So this is yeah, uh, this is primarily about. on Linux that the problem exists. Yeah. So anything that's uh, .NET based on Linux is in the twenty percent. Yeah, gotcha. Um, because they're running on top of Mono, they're I generally see. running with Mod Mono. Uh, so running it on Apache. Apache's not the fastest server in the world anymore. Right, right. Um, 
And the other option is they've got the Kestrel HTTP server, which is based on LibUV, so it should be insanely fast, but all the interop layers and the memory marshalling and, and whatever else is slowing that down. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you run that under mono, uh, right. and mono is very quick, but uh, you're still running it on this fairly heavy layer of framework, and then you reverse proxy that behind Nginx, um, and so you're adding various layers in there. Got it. So it's, you know, it's comparable it's the, to PHP. Yeah, it's the layer, the layer problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's comparable to PHP as long as you're talking about, like, the, the default PHP. If right. you're using Zend or, or Facebook's hip-hop uh, VM for PHP, then that suddenly speeds up a lot. Um, hmm. But I'm confident that, that uh, .NET can overtake that. Once we get to .NET Core, yeah. we get the Core CLR, we get uh, those things, and then it'll be possible to build something like Byte Buffer and something like NIO. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll, you know, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not this year, but we will. So you're very much at the time of they're just trying to make it work. There's not a lot of optimization going on. They're getting to the point where with MVC, yeah. uh, I think they've got beta 5 stable that's coming out. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the work they're doing now is optimization and stabilization. Right. Um, and obviously stabilization is optimization because the, the worst thing you can possibly do in .NET in performance terms, as you know, mm -hmm. is throw an exception. Yeah. And yeah. so if you go through and make sure that the code doesn't throw exceptions unless it really, really has to, then you can speed things up a lot. Yeah, yeah and lot. we're talking not, uh, not talking milliseconds, we're talking seconds. We are I mean, unwind the stack, yeah. create a stack a trace, time. put in all the bits and pieces that are important and then hook that into the exception pipeline. It's hideous. Hey Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to go to the loo. And jetty a few objects before my bite buffer overflows. <laughs> Do you know the route to the loop? <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay, that's where we're going. Yep. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one of the luckiest members of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Telerik DevCraft. It's the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All right, dude, who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Wilhelm Medetz. Congratulations, Wilhelm. Congratulations. You, Yay. Yeah. Wilhelm just won the Telerik DevCraft collection. Big Pile Awesome from Telerik, our sponsor today. And if you don't know what we're doing, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, like the Telerik DevCraft Collection. And every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. But you've got to sign up to win. And Mark, you've done this before. We have, but I've got I a new answer this time. I wonder if you've got a new answer. I'd, what would I'd, you buy with five grand? I actually thought about this this time before I came in. Woohoo! Um, I think last so time it was photography, was it? Maybe It was two um, drones. Drones. And then hook those up to an Oculus Rift. And oh, simulate yeah. being a 50-foot-high giant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then suddenly one of your eyes <laughs> yeah, you know, has eyes a seizure. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's pretty uh, awesome, though. I remember that now. Although this peculiar thing has happened. Oculus Rift has been coming for so long yeah. that yeah. they haven't got a consumer product out, and I'm bored of it. 
Yeah. You know? Well, now they got the relationship with Microsoft, right? They're yeah. The whole like, Xbox thing. So it looks, dare we say, that uh, Oculus Rift might work with the Xbox One? Yeah, just me. I yeah. think we may. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Sony have got Morpheus, but yeah. um, I think Microsoft, maybe there's a, a good move there, and they've got HoloLens as well. But no, mm. the 5000, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, have you seen these uh, curved screens? Oh, He's got yeah. one. Coming. You got one. Love, yeah. I'm in love of mine. Uh, did you? Which one did you get? I get the LG, the 34 inch. Right. Yeah. So you you know that the LG 34 inch screen. Yeah. They've got the little uh, holes at the top, so you can stack two of them. In theory, yeah. Yeah. Well, two. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've got five thousand to spend. I want. Oh, yeah. I right. want six. Okay. Six yeah, of you're those curved budget on that, but for sure. So, um, well, you know, I'll come to the states to buy them, and yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I think in the you UK say, hey, that would buy me one. Where can I get one of them LG monitors? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, as as many of them as I can afford. Yeah, uh, and then probably also another GTX card for the extra display ports to, to, to right. plug in and yeah. stuff. But yes, I just I would love to have that kind of. What would that be? A, a, 90, a whole lot. 102 inch yeah. uh, a diagonal, diagonal screen. That would be I, pretty I'm sweet. I'm trying to figure out just how many, because the curve is very slight, just how many it would take to go all the way around you. Mm. You know? Well, yeah, work out the arc and then do some maths. Do some maths. And it's Sorry, I'm doing American. Do some math. <laughs> That's right. We don't do maths in America. No, you just do the one math. We just have one math. You just learn two plus two and then you stop. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Boy, between a Canadian and a Brit, I'm feeling very outclassed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's what I would buy. I want, I want millions of monitors. I want yeah. YouTube videos now to be shot in 21 by 9, too, fill my oh, screen yeah. properly. Yeah. YouTube videos, wow. Yeah. Because they're never that proportion, so we've always got black yeah. Get the sidebars at the side. Yeah. But Remember yeah. when those used to be at the top and the bottom? Yeah, that's <laughs> not anymore. Now the screen is very wide. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. That's... It's an amazing, amazing yeah. I was always wondered if you could take a bunch of monitors apart and reassemble them side by side so they were seamless. Sort of the minimal bezel. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, we've seen those digital walls and things at the big events. They're, they're very down expensive to toys. like one millimeter bezels now. Yeah. There's obviously something that stops them going edge to edge. Yeah. yeah. But I think we'll get past it in the next couple of years. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close. So we'll just keep making bigger and bigger screens. Yeah. One or the other. I mean, Microsoft's out there selling an 84-inch touchscreen. Yeah. And you know, how big would you like? Yeah, I want one of those. Yeah. When, yeah. When, when, when no you can't use for it, but yeah. I want it. Well, here's the thing, though. The resolution on it's pretty low compared to the screen size, yeah. right? Of yeah. That. Yeah. What you really want is something that size that can drive, you know, the equivalent of six high-res like, monitors. Like 400K. Exactly. <laughs> 400K. Well, in those yeah. 34 inches of 21 by 9, so 3440 by 1440. Yeah. And so the, it's pretty crisp. That is, you know, yeah, it's crisp enough for me. Anything more than that, and yeah. my eyes can't focus you can't see it anyway. We're all getting too old to see really high resolution. I'm, I'm, I'm 42 years old. My favorite keyboard shortcut is Control Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Make bigger, please. <laughs> yeah, I can't see this. <laughs> Control Plus. All right. Put that up to an Oculus Rift or a Connect oh, yeah. or something. Now you got something. Should we talk of running ASP.NET on Linux? Yeah, so. What flavor of Linux are you running? I run Manjaro, which is, uh, it's not quite Arch. Um, so Linux goes through this progression and you can work out the easiest Linux to use by going to distrowatch.com right. and the one that's at the top of the list that's the easiest and then as they go down to the bottom they get harder and harder right. and the top one is Linux Mint so it's Mint Mint 
Okay. Um, and if anyone wants to, to give this a try, and, but they've never put Linux on a, on a partition on their machine before, I would recommend getting Linux Mint mm -hmm. and just running it in a VM, just run it in VirtualBox right. or, or VMware or, you know, if you've got a Mac, then Fusions, Parallels, whatever. Uh, Linux Mint is based on Ubuntu, um, and Ubuntu has this thing called LTS, which stands for long-term support. Right. Uh, and so it's based on that, and it means it's got a very stable kernel, it's got very stable packages. It's got, uh, get the Cinnamon desktop environment, which mm -hmm. is the, the primary one, because it's a really nice desktop environment, be very familiar to Windows users. Right. Uh, and get started with that, and then as you progress, you get kind of, well, I specifically want this desktop environment and so forth. Uh, or I, I want different package management, so I might go to Fedora mm -hmm. or CentOS or something. But then once you get sort of completely hardcore and, and you can work entirely from the command line, you go to Arch. Right. And when you install Arch, it literally just takes you to a command line and you have to figure out how to use the command line to connect to your Wi-Fi. Mm. <laughs> and then you can download a desktop environment. Okay. Right. So and Manjaro, are you really thinking we we want a Linux desktop environment and make this into a workstation as opposed yeah. to just making a server I can run ASP.NET on and no, connect with my regular machine? No, I like having Linux as a desktop environment. Interesting. Hmm. Um, I will explain why. But uh, yeah, Manjaro is Arch, but they've pre-installed a desktop environment for you. Okay. So I've actually got Manjaro with the Cinnamon desktop from Linux Mint because it's so nice. Mm -hmm. But underneath, I've got it's, it's what's called a rolling distribution, so it always stays up to date. Okay. I can switch and use the Linux 4 kernel. Uh, I get kind of up-to-date versions of all the drivers yeah. and, and everything else. Right. Um, and you never need to reinstall. They'll, they will never release a new version. So with Ubuntu, if you want to go from 14 to 15, you have to uninstall, and, or you have to format and reinstall. There's no wow. upgrade path. Or, you know... They might say there's an upgrade path, but it won't work for you because you installed something and there's no upgrade. Anyway. Right. Yeah. The chances of you so, being yeah. in the perfect condition to be able to upgrade exactly. low. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Linux is a desktop environment. Uh, certainly for doing .NET development, mm -hmm. uh, even a year ago, it would have been very difficult. Right. Uh, mainly because .NET, uh, like Java, is built around the idea that you're editing it in an IDE, mm. right. and therefore you have IntelliSense, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. therefore the people writing the framework can just go nuts. <laughs> <With you know? laughs> they don't have These to keep it simple, names. because yeah, no, you just type dot, yeah. and, and it goes, here's all the things this could here's possibly be. Here's the hierarchy be. of doom. Yeah. You have to exactly. type all that out by hand. It's not so fun, is no. it? Yeah. Um, but now, here we are in the middle of 2015, and there's been a project for ages called OmniSharp, yep. yeah. and OmniSharp... Uh, by Jason Immerson originally started that project and he wanted C-Sharp IntelliSense in Vim at yeah. the time. Right. And he couldn't do it. And Vim, there's no way you can like run C-Sharp code inside of Vim. Mm -hmm. Right. So he created this thing where he spun up uh, a TC, an HTTP server using Nancy and then did yeah. the IntelliSense and everything else inside there yep. and then communicated with I it from this. Vim Mm -hmm. using HTTP. Right. And... It was pretty you know, fast. It, and it was very, very good. It was yeah. very fast. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of interest in it because not many people at the time were doing .NET on mono and therefore wanting to, to edit the code important. in Vim. Yep. You know? and, and people would, but they'd use like MonoDevelop or, uh, or C, uh, Sharp code. Yeah, um, right. right. If, if anyone remembers Sharp. I think that's, that's still a thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
But then when VNext came along, suddenly people went, oh, there's OmniSharp, I can use that. And so now OmniSharp, is, we've got contributors. I say we because I have actually put pull requests in and I, I, am a, okay. I have commit rights on one of the OmniSharp repositories. Wow, cool. But now you can use Sublime Text, you can use Brackets, you can use right. Atom, uh, you can use Vim or Emacs to hook into OmniSharp. Uh, and it's using Roslyn underneath, and so we've got refactorings and code. What about Visual real -time Studio error code? Checking. Okay. Yeah, what about it? I, tell us. So Visual Studio Code. Okay, well, let's talk about Atom, right. which is okay. GitHub's open source programmer's editor. All right. Uh, and Atom is an HTML, JavaScript, and CSS application okay. that runs inside the Chromium embedded or something similar to the Chromium embedded framework, mm -hmm. except they've got their own kind of fork of that, uh, which is now called Electron. Yeah. Because it's the thing that contains Atom. Ah. You see, it's clever, it's the shell. That is clever. See yeah. what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. subatomic particle jokes. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they, got, they separated this out from the main Atom project. Yeah. Right. And Microsoft have taken Electron and put Monaco inside it yeah. from the Visual Studio Online thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's... But Visual Studio Online Monaco never did IntelliSense for, uh, for C-sharp code. And so they've actually used OmniSharp. They've, hmm. they've got OmniSharp included in this VS Code thing, and they've got Electron, which they're using to wrap this VS Code thing. So they, they, they're using these open source projects, and there's a little bit of uh, a feeling in the community that if you're going to build your, your thing on top of these open source projects, then maybe open source it, you know? It's still closed source at the moment. Yeah, I uh, see where you're going. But, you know, basically it's because Monaco was a proprietary product, is a proprietary product. Yeah. Right. And as with everything, if you want to take something from being closed source, proprietary, no license, mm -hmm. to open source, some kind of license, then that's got to go through all the lawyers at Microsoft. It takes time. And it yeah. does take time. I mean, you know, Scott's, Scott Hanselman's been trying to get Windows Live Writer open sourced for, what, two, three years now? Yeah, at least. Mm. And, mm. you know, they're not even shipping it anymore. No. But he's having trouble getting that And they never charge for it, you know, like... It's, it's, you know, it's a free right. thing. Why not yeah. open source it? I, I think challenge. it's because the code is terrible. <laughs> I think Maybe. they have to clean it up before they can put it out there. Well, yeah, and, yeah when you but have you to know. go and ask a developer, a contractor or something, to change their licensing yeah. to be able to open source, their thought is not, oh, no, I want to protect that code. It's valuable to me. That code is, I don't want anybody to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no. um, so VS Code, I mean... It's great. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. I can't use it because it doesn't have a Vim mode. Uh, if someone comes along and writes a Vim mode for it, then I might use it. So for it. those who don't know Vim, can you just tell us Vim a little bit about Vim? Vim mode basically means you can, you're in an editor and you can press, well, to start typing anything, you either have to press I or O or A to go into insert mode. But right. Vim, Vim mode basically means modal editing. And they, they have three modes. Insert mode which is when you're actually typing letters in and they appear on the screen. Command mode, uh, which is uh, when you're in, you press escape and it goes into command mode and then you can just type in commands uh, to, the, like to the editor. DD and it will delete the current line or yeah. D shift G and it will delete to the end of the file. And okay. But there's all these keys. Keyboard centric. Keyboard centric and uh, it's designed for not taking your fingers off the home keys got it so everything is supposed to so you actually navigate around when you're in command mode with hjkl 
because they oh. didn't want to go as far as moving their hand down to the wow. to the arrow keys, keys, much less the mouse. That's yeah. a crazy talk. So basically, your muscles that atrophy from non-use. <laughs> exactly. Well, these yeah. muscles atrophy, yeah, yeah, but yeah. these muscles are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Your fingers Thanks are great. for yes, doing I'll, these I'll do muscles on a radio show. On the, yeah. on, the, on the podcast. Thanks. Well done. <laughs> yes. Your upper body strength goes to hell, but yeah. your, your, because your fingers of your are amazing. <laughs> so okay. yes, but anyway, if you... If you've been coding as long as I have and you actually had to use Vim, yep. uh, then you develop this muscle memory yeah, and you, you know to how it. to dance around a text file. Yeah. If you watch a, a Vim guy editing a text file, it's just that you can't see what's going on. It happens so fast. Right. Yeah. But if you then put him in an editor that doesn't support those things, yeah. he'll just be typing random characters all over the place. Yeah, you can't see the text anymore because it's yeah. littered so in commands. I wondered if somebody could write a Vim mode processor, pre-keyed preprocessor for Visual Studio Code. There's absolutely no reason why they why shouldn't not? be able to. Yeah. Uh, I use I was using Sublime Text, which has a plugin called Vintageous, mm -hmm. uh, which does Vim for Sublime Text. When I'm using Visual Studio on Windows, mm -hmm. I use VS Vim, which is Jared Pars um, Jared Parsons uh, Vim emulator, which is amazing, and okay. also written in F Sharp. It's the biggest trove of F Sharp code you can find. Wow. Mm. Uh, now I'm using Atom, and Atom has a very good Vim mode. Yeah. I don't need it to be perfect. I just need it to know everything that I know. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Anything yeah. more than that, I'm kind of like, oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yes, so you know, if they open up VS Code, either open source it or at least create a plugin model for it so yeah. that someone can add Vim mode in, then that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, the editing story there, uh, it's, it's great. So... And we've got refactorings. You can do extract methods. You can do uh, make this async. Mm. So you, if you put a weight in a method that wasn't async, then it'll do the squigglies and you can hit it and it'll say, do you want to make this method async? And you say yes. And so we've got a lot of the stuff that you would expect from Visual Studio. But OmniSharp is driving all of this. Um, I'm trying to remember how end. we got on this tangent, but it was about editors It was and, about whether Linux as a desktop environment. As a desktop works. environment, yeah. So yes, it does. And also then you get into all the other stuff that you've got in Visual Studio, right. which now has become command line tools. So right, right. you don't start an application by hitting F5. You start an application by saying dnx.kestrel. Mm -hmm. um, and that runs the Kestrel server mm -hmm. in that current folder. Um, and then you go a bit further than that, and you wrap that with Nodemon, uh, which watches all the C-sharp files in, in the folder. Mm -hmm. And if any of them change, it restarts the Kestrel server, so you get live reload of your code going. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, and where you would have your file new project ASP.NET web application, we now have a Yeoman generator. That sounds all very James Bond It's very command-line-y, and it makes you feel like a proper programmer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, or it makes me feel like a proper programmer again. Um, and it does mean that, particularly because I do a lot of developing on the laptop, yeah. I rely on the, the mouse less. And yeah. since the mouse is a touchpad and it doesn't work very well... Right. Turn um, it off. Because it's not a MacBook. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, and, but... You know, you can, you're perfectly entitled and able to carry on doing your development in Windows. Sure. Carry on working in Visual Studio 2015. Right. Uh, and then deploy that code into Docker. Right. In, into Linux using Docker. Sorry, I kind of conflate the two yeah, things. Yeah, sure. Right. Because, um, yeah, to me, the biggest thing about being able to deploy on Linux and run on Linux is Docker. Is yeah. Docker. 
yeah. you know, to, to Mac guys, I think it's being able to develop on a Mac without running Visual Studio in a VM. Yeah. Right. I think that's, that's their big, big deal. But then you're not worried about whether it runs in production and if it falls over mm. after five minutes, that's not an issue. No. But in production, you need stability. Mm. But yeah, you can, uh, I think someone's actually done a Visual Studio plugin where you can say, publish this to Docker running on an Ubuntu image mm. in Azure. Yeah. Like two clicks and yep. you're done. Yeah. Um, but I like having Docker there while I'm developing as well. Do you want to know why? Go on, ask Yeah, me why. please. Why? So, um, Zudio, which yep. you mentioned at the start. Right. Uh, we are pivoting. Um, we're doing so going in slightly different direction, doing some new stuff. Um, and as part of that, we are going to be running in more uh, different environments. So we're going to be running in AWS. We're going to be running in Google Compute Engine nice. and this sort of thing. And so rather than say, well, we'll deploy on Azure websites in Azure and we'll deploy on Elastic Beanstalk in AWS, right. it's better to have a consistent deployment story right. across all these different environments. Does that just mean a VM? So yeah, you basically yep. you a create a Linux VM mm -hmm. uh, with Docker installed on it and then you push your... Docker image to a, a registry, right? And you can set up the machine so that it says, uh, "I get a webhook when there's a new image available." Right. I can pull that down, start it, rewrite some configuration, tell Nginx to reload itself, mm -hmm. um, which it will do seamlessly, transition from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Wait to make sure it's stable, and then after an hour, unless I've told it not to, kill off the old Docker container. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, you get into this, well, we're going to use Docker to do this. And it's when you start using Docker that, and start using Docker to manage the deployment and everything of your, of your code, mm. microservices make a lot more sense. Sure. So there's all this talk about microservices yes. and people are saying, well, why would I break my application up just so I can run it as lots of different applications, but in IIS or, or whatever else? Yeah. Whereas... When you start thinking about Dockerizing these things, Dockerizing, yeah, Dockerizing, perfect, and I do spell fine. it with a Z. Yeah, um, <laughs> it looks weird with an S in there. It's such an American word. <laughs> Dockerizing, so, yeah. Um, Dockerize. But yeah, you sort of go, well, why would I have all this running as a single thing? So you know, Zudio works with blobs, tables, queues, and files. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. rather than having one big application that's handling all these requests. I can split that out into, uh, I've got a blobs dot, the new domain, not ready to announce yet, but yep. stuff's happening. Yep. Um, and tables dot and queues dot and so forth. Nice. But then actually, it turns out that for uploading files into blob storage, mm -hmm. the best way to do that is actually over WebSockets. And the best way to do that is using Socket.io in mm -hmm. Node.js. Mm -hmm. And so then I can have upload blob dot whatever and that's a separate service that i've pulled out and rewritten in node.js right and there may be something that would work better in python something that would work better in go god help me uh, <laughs> the right uh, the know? right platform and language for the right job exactly you know yeah. if i'm writing something that needs to unzip files then yeah. maybe i'll do that as native c or c plus plus code sure. because yeah, it's, yeah. it's quick to do that so yeah you know it's it, that's, it becomes that's an architecture where all this that's very stuff tolerant to multiple languages yeah yeah 
Uh, I see it as the sort of the culmination of what SOA was supposed to be, or SOA was supposed to be when we started this. That was the vision, was to have these little guys that have their own domains and their own fiefdoms. Yeah. Yeah. I think the problem at the time was that SOA, if you were an enterprise and you were basically renting 10,000 servers a a year off HP or IBM anyway, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you might as well do SOA. But if you're a small company and you've got limited budget, Mm -hmm. then this whole service-oriented thing, it's expensive. Yeah. But now with Docker, you can run hundreds of, contain- uh, hundreds of Docker containers yeah. on a VM right. inside Azure or, or, or EC2 or, or wherever. Or you both, can, right? I mean, and, you can, and, yeah, you can literally upload the same thing there and the same thing there, yeah. and yeah. you can have your failover rather than failing over from like the Dublin Azure data center to the uh, German or Dutch uh, Azure data center. You can fail yeah. over to the Amazon EC2 yeah. right. Dublin data center. So your data is still in the same country. It just makes sense to have everything. It, you know, that we've talked about microservices and it does come with its own challenges architecturally, like, uh, you know, in terms of one of the services that's critical for the entire process to work goes yeah. down. How do you so, fail that but this is elegantly? The thing. But those are, those are good problems to have. They are great problems to have. But yeah. So because I'm doing my development work on Linux... And I use Atom for working with the C-sharp code. Mm-hmm. And I use WebStorm for working with the TypeScript code yeah. and the AngularJS and all that front-end stuff because WebStorm is just amazing for that. Mm. Um, and, but I've got these microservices. I've split what was this one application out and now I've got uh, six actual microservices yep. but also there's one that I've extracted out rather than having a shared library that's used by each of those microservices it's an internal only microservice mm-hmm. that therefore has its own little in-memory cache yeah. yep. that's consumed by the other six sure. so it's not a shared library anymore it's a shared service that they right. connect to but this means that for any of them to run I need that one to be up yep. and I need tables to be up but mm-hmm. if I really want to be kind of doing my testing and making sure that things work, I kind of need all seven of these containers to be up. Right. Uh, And then what I need is my Nginx proxy to be up, which is also running in a Docker container, and automatically finds all the others and sets a virtual host for them. And so I can, I've got a, a .dev domain that I'm using DNS mask to point anything to this .dev domain, mm-hmm. just goes to localhost, and right. then Nginx proxy picks that up. And so I'm developing in this like insane way. So I yeah. use uh, Docker Compose, where you just have a, a YAML file, and you say Docker Compose up. It's like Swedish YAML, right? Yes. <laughs> YAML. YAML. Oh, yes. I like your YAML. <laughs> I would like to write your YAML. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> or is it JAML? I have no then idea where that I'm guy so was. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, that was so, the Indian Egyptian. It was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like Maz Jobrani. Bakshish. Um, you ever been to Egypt? Oh, yes. Bakshish. Bakshish. It means tip me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, yes. What, what is the Egyptian no. for I want to buy your taxi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a Starbucks card. <laughs> We did that. Um, I'm sorry, Mike. But yeah, so I, I have this Docker Compose file, and mm-hmm. I just say Docker Compose up, and it rebuilds any of the images if they've changed. Right. Um, and then it just spins up an entire little cluster of, of Docker containers. Basically, yeah, and I've got seven of these things running uh, in a Dell machine, which has got a dual-core 
Um, it is an i7, so it's a reasonably fast processor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a, I've got eight megs of RAM. It's uh, eight, eight megs of RAM. Yeah, because this this laptop is actually <laughs> twenty years old. <laughs> yeah, and it works. No, I've got eight gigs of RAM. Um, but yeah. And, you know, if I was trying to do that with VMs... Oh, no, there's no way. Spinning up eight VMs on an eight-gig yeah. Yeah, machine would not work. But so with Docker, I, I'm not even pushing it. It's right. not even hitting, like, 10% CPU. You mentioned WebStorm, JetBrains' uh, yes. JavaScript editor. You said it's awesome for that front-end stuff. It is. Something that I don't think has come up on the show before. If it mm -hmm. has, it blew by me. Tell us just a little bit about why WebStorm is awesome. So I do my front-end... Uh, the code is written in TypeScript... Yeah. which I think is just the best thing to happen to JavaScript okay. um, since jQuery, okay. probably. Uh, and then the front end is done in Angular uh, 1.3. Okay. Um, and WebStorm is just better at working with both those things. The thing that really blows my mind is that WebStorm is better at TypeScript than Visual Studio is. <laughs> That's cool. And he's kind of like, guys. How did that happen? What? <laughs> what? But yeah, WebStorm. So when I'm working on my TypeScript files, it's doing the IntelliSense, it's doing the refactorings. Nice. I get the alt enter thing and it says, you know, you can do this. That's not being used. All that good stuff that you expect from, yeah. from ReSharper when you're doing .NET in Visual Studio. Right. It gives you that in WebStorm, and it'll do it for JavaScript as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but WebStorm, I'm not sure when it started doing it. It was either version 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. uh, AngularJS, you can declare your own directives, and those directives can be uh, HTML elements or HTML attributes. Okay. Yeah. And WebStorm actually goes and looks through all your AngularJS files, finds all the directives, passes them, and then when you're editing an HTML file, it will give you IntelliSense for those directives. Wow. So if you're using awesome. UI Router, you get UI View and UI SREF directives in there. Right. Um, even to the point where it looks at, Angular has this way of saying, so this directive can be an element or an attribute or a class, right. but this one can only be an attribute. <laughs> and WebStorm is clever enough to only put it in IntelliSense when it's an attribute. So. When, for me, working with the combination of those two things, that is just killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just gives me the same kind of code intelligence yeah, when I'm working on my front-end stuff that I expect from my back-end stuff. Yeah. So I have, uh, I have Atom open on one workspace with my .NET code in it, and I have WebStorm open on the next workspace with all my TypeScript and HTML and CSS. Right. And then I have this uh, combination, I have this gulp build process yeah. that builds all the TypeScript stuff and then pushes it into the dub dub root of all these different uh, .NET projects. Right. And then I have my Docker Compose. And when I'm developing, the Docker Compose... So with Docker, you can either add files into the image natively. You can tell I'm excited because for yes. those of you at home, I'm sitting forward in my seat. I know. He's a lovely, waving his hands. Couch, and, yeah. and I'm just sitting He's forward in my seat. Subdued um, is not the word I would use. So yeah, I said I wrap... Uh, DNX, which is the .NET execution thing right. that you use on Linux. Yeah. But I wrap that in Node1 so that it does this auto-reload. And then with Docker, uh, rather than having to rebuild this doc these Docker containers every time I change the code, you can mount a volume from your host file system so that it shows up as a volume in, on, the, in the Docker, Docker yeah. instance. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I mount... For each of these entries in Docker Compose, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll upload the 
um, my Docker Compose file. Great, uh, sure. So you can see it. I won't upload the rest of the code because I'm trying to charge people money for it. Oh, that's fine. But I'll put the <laughs> Docker Compose file somewhere in sure. a gist so you guys can, can put a link to it on the show. Yeah, yep. Sure, great. Um, but yes, I basically have, for this container, mount this project folder as yeah. a volume yeah. and then run DNxmon. Nice. And then in this container, do the same thing. And so I've got this all running in Docker containers. Nginx proxy is doing its thing. It's running like a live system. Mm -hmm. But I can change a .cs file as soon as I hit save in Atom. Mm -hmm. And it triggers the DNx mon to restart that process in whichever Docker container has got that volume mounted in it. Right. And so and it that, just and reads from the volume, so you're not copying anything anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing gets copied. Nothing has to get moved around and so I've got six Docker containers that are doing this live reload thing plus mm -hmm. the internal ones um, and it's all just sitting there. Do you feel like Harry Potter? <laughs> I, it's somewhere between Harry Potter and uh, what's that Warlock in, in Die Hard 4. You know, the Kevin Smith character in Die Hard 4 just sitting there in his chair with all these screens and, and everything. It's, <laughs> Except uh, you're not really doing evil or are you? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Ask my users. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so one other question is, you you have spouted off more crazy product names, you know, that I swear to God are in a James Bond movie, and they don't really exist in real life. But uh, if you had to pick the most the craziest name for the tool that you will use next, what's the name of that tool going to be? What the name I would make up for it? Absolutely, the um, most awesome tool that you can think of. What would you name it? Just off the top of your head. Um, just, I don't know. That's uh, uh, what did I have? Um, I was trying to work. I've created Jasmine in C Sharp. Right? Yeah, I can't remember what I called it. Um, okay, but it was something. Oh, uh, Mixo. Mixo. M Y X O. Okay. Um, because I went and did some Googling on Jasmine and, yeah, the right. sort of thing. Um, kind of anticlimactic. My favorite tool that actually exists okay. at the moment that I've, I've been using is uh, Arch Linux's has, has a package manager called Pac-Man. Uh, and you're like, why did no one think of that before? <laughs> yeah, right. So obviously. <laughs> right. Pac-Man works with the official Arch repositories. And then people wanted to put their own repos in and all this sort of stuff. So there's a kind of community-driven uh, set of repositories. Are the package that and if you want to work with those, dots? yes. Are they but, really? You know, if you want to work with those, you have to use a thing that wraps around Pac-Man, which, for reasons that I do not understand, is called yaourt. Oh, uh, I thought it was called as ghost. in French for yogurt. Oh, okay. All right. Yaourt. Um, so yet yeah, no one knows why, but <laughs> it's got three vowels in a row, and yeah. the first time you type it, you will type it wrong. It's French, um, but yes. So yaourt is. Yaourt. Is, have you have you tried getting it from yaourt from from where you are? Yaourt. So that's a mad name, but yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, but I I feel that we could talk forever. You know, yeah, you're let's, so let's do excited about hour. this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and just just one question though, this this. Harry Potter configuration that you seem to have come across, is this just from sitting and doing research and thinking, oh, this would work there and that would work there and this would work there? Or is this like a, 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 some architecture or some setup that you found somewhere? I think, I think the beauty of it is it's, it's grown organically. And as I've hit a problem, I've 
gone onto Google or I've gone onto message boards or I've gone onto Stack Overflow yeah. and I've said, how do you solve this problem? And you get like half a dozen answers and you choose the one that fits you best. Yeah. Yeah. So I could write you a guide to setting up my exact system, but that wouldn't work for you. And this, sure. is, this is the beauty of Linux right. as a desktop environment. I can set it up with the desk, you know, all the GUIs that I want and then the tools that I want. And I like Docker, so I use Docker. Right. I've got this system that works for me. Yep. And you kind of start off and it's very scary and mm. nothing's there for you out of the box. But then, you know, a couple of weeks in, you've solved some of the problems, but yeah. you've created this patchwork system that mm -hmm. works for you at this time. And if it stops working, then you go, well, I'm going to ditch that because it doesn't work anymore. Right pull something else in. And yeah. that's the really nice thing about it. Right. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. It's been enlightening. <laughs> it really has. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 